Hey guys, Mark here with CFO Bookshelf. We got a great show today. We have Blaine Birch. He's the co-founder of Dry Run, the software company that creates cash flow forecasting. That is coming up next. Uh, Bruce, this is obviously we're still the, the this is still COVID nineteen, so because of some technical difficulties, I, I, that sounds so cool. You were experiencing <laughs> technical difficulties and never would think I'd say that on a podcast, but we now have you on the phone and we also have a Rover in the background. So we, we may hear, we may hear a puppy dog in the, in the background, which I think is fun and cute. And yeah. been a it, makes us more hu- it makes us more human. Exactly. Uh, and so if, if you're a recovering perfectionist, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> like a, maybe a little bit of a challenge. First of all, good, good morning. It's a Friday morning as we are chatting here and how's your week been, sir? It is, uh, it has gone fast. These, you know, the weeks really just fly by right now. There's, uh, there's so much, there's so much to do. And I, you know, I think that there's, there's definitely a reality to those of us that are, that are office dwellers. You know, I mean, you you you're used to managing your own time and and doing it in a, you know, in in you kind of in your own setting or the setting of your choosing. Where, whereas I think uh, people who people who are spend their time in offices, there's there's downtime between things. Whereas here, it's you just go from one thing to another, and and you know, it, it's. Um, it makes the days go very quickly. And I mean, I think it makes it very important to also you know, make sure that we're figuring out some way to to take a few minutes to recharge between meetings and those sort of things. By the way, that's the voice of my favorite CFO on the planet, Bruce Reed. Practice link, practice link. And notice I didn't say practicelink.com. It's so, it's so hard for me not to say, because when I mention practice link to other people who are in the health, health field community, I always say, We'll go to practicelink.com. So it's hard for me when I say who you are to not say the .com. But anyway, you are Bruce, I'm Mark, and we're talking cash flow today because we have an interesting guest today. His name is Blaine Birch, and he is the co-founder of Dry Run. And the way this, this interview transpired was a guy named Jeremy Burke, reached out to me on LinkedIn and I think, you know, he's doing his job. He's trying to find people who might be interested in their uh, cash flow projecting uh, software, or I should call it cash flow forecasting uh, software. So being an opportunist, Bruce, which you taught me very well, I thought, Jeremy, <laughs> would you like to be a guest on our show to talk about your software? Because I noticed that the co-founder is also the author of a book. And he said, you know what? I think you should just talk to the co-founder instead. And so that's how all that transpired. But Bruce, have you ever heard of Dry Run before until we started talking about it? I had never heard of Dry Run um, there, but just taking a taking a look at the, the LinkedIn profile and those things looks like it's looks like it's the type of thing that could be really important for a variety of organizations right now with all the uncertainty and you know potential. To potential threats to cash flow. Number one, number one, these are good people. Uh, they're good people. They're smart people. They are intelligent people. This is not some 
mom and pop little application. And you know, I can be pretty critical with some of the software vendors out there because I've worked, I've worked in the financial modeling space since about 2005. I've implemented uh, as a VAR some of these tools. So it's easy for me to be critical on some of these very niche oriented applications. These guys are doing something right. Did you know they have users from over 70 countries around the globe using this application? Wow. I, I did not know that. That that blew me away. And then near the end of the interview, Blaine mentions they've gone through a seed round of VC funding. So again, this is a relevant company. They're Canadian-based, and these guys are going to be around for a while. I have a prediction of what's going to happen to their company. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it, but I have a prediction. And usually my predictions on things like this usually come to fruition. Uh, I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint, Bruce. Okay. Have you intrigued? My prediction, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Now, Blaine may email me, but just think adaptive insights. Now, don't pry. Don't be Sherlock, but I'm just, I have a prediction of what will happen to this, this company in the next few years. I'm just going to leave it at that. So what we're going to do here, I'm going to tee this up. The first question, I didn't want to talk about software yet. I I love the name dry run. And the first question that I asked for blood that asked the Blaine, tell me about that name. Where did it come from? And here is his first answer. Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, the name comes from, uh, um, you know, honestly, it comes from the same place the business uh, comes from. And, and I always credit, uh, you know, 2008, 2009 as, as the reason we built Dry Run. Um, and, and so, you know, right now it's, it's, it's a little bit of a deja vu, except it hit a little harder and a little faster this time. But um, you know, I had a business in, in, uh, in, uh, 2008 and, and, and we got hit with a recession like everybody else. And we had to do some really, really rapid changes to, uh, to our business, um, initially just to survive. Uh, you know, I started tracking our cash flow religiously and I was moving from, uh, not really paying attention to be honest to, to much of anything. We, we always just had enough work and we, we kind of kept charging forward suddenly data became really important and, and, and it became important for years and years. And, and um, so we were, you know, went from tracking our, our cash flow to really taking a deep dive on how we rebound our business, how we open up the proper sales channels, what was making us uh, money, what was profitable. And, um, and that's, that's where the, the, the name dry run comes from. It's, it's really, you know, taking these ideas uh, for a dry run before you make those decisions. So you're making informed decisions. So tell us more about it. And by the way, we'll have all this in the show notes. I think there's even a, a two minute video overview. If there's something already in YouTube, we'll get that in the show notes as well, but definitely we'll have link back links back to your, to your website. But, but Blaine, can you tell us more just about the app? Yeah, sure. So with Dry Run, it is a, it's a cash flow modeling tool. We uh, we pride ourselves in, in um, uh, enabling people to actually make decisions. So we don't, you know, we don't attempt to fully automate business decisions. I don't think that's that's really possible. But what we do uh, is is we we carry a lot of the load. So we'll we'll set up forecasts. We we can import data from from an external uh, accounting system or not. Uh, it's up to you. Um, and we 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 try and carry eighty five percent load for you. So we build these things up really quickly. We you know we 
we, you can, we can deal with multiple currencies and locations and consolidation, all these things that are really tricky and time consuming. But in the end, dry run is a really easy to use approachable tool that helps you do scenario modeling. So once you've built out those forecasts, now you can start uh, building out those what ifs and trying to figure out, uh, make those decisions on, on um, you know, uh, A is A better than B, better than C. You can you can really evaluate it and and uh, you can work with your management team and and um, model things out really quickly and and come to some sort of uh, some sort of informed conclusion. I love listening to you, Blaine. You're just this is just all rolling off your tongue very very uh, fluidly. Uh, who who so who are your who's your ideal client? Who who are, who have you been generally selling to? Yeah, we've you know right now we've got we've got uh, users across the globe, seventy countries, sectors, all over the place, right? Uh, lots of different business models, but where we find the the really um, uh, terrific use, where it makes the most sense and the most time savings, uh, tends to be with businesses with large inflows and outflows of cash, um, high cash flow volatility. So they've got you know you know a few hundred thousand dollars in invoices floating around out there, and and especially right now. Most of them are overdue. There might be a couple that aren't even going to come in at all. Uh, they got some big bills on their on their desk for for materials or contractors or, or inventory or, or whatever. And and the timing of those big inflows and outflows of cash um, are are really tricky to manage. Um, so that's that's one of the earmarks we see quite often is uh, there's some real volatility in their cash flow. Uh, we we work with small businesses up to much larger, but our sweet spot tends to be multi million dollar businesses. Uh, just because the more complex things get, um, the more we seem to be able to handle it. And so we managed to keep people out of those spreadsheets that are taking them so much time and, and are, you know, error prone and, and, and you know, sometimes post security issues and virgin control issues and things like that. Uh, we can keep them right in dry run. So I know with one of our customers, we literally save them uh, several days a week in man hours um, in, in a matter of minutes because we pull all this data in from, from uh, multiple locations with multiple currencies, do that currency conversion, consolidate everything together. And then the management team can start going, okay, let's, let's figure out these guys are underperforming over here. We may have to expand over there. How do we do that? And uh, so that's, that's sort of what we pride ourselves on is, is um, enabling them to, to, uh, uh, to get their hands dirty and, and make those decisions. Quick question. I'm going to step on a limb. I'm assuming business is going really well right now, given what's transpired the last 60 or so days in your country. Uh, by the way, this is a Canadian-based uh, firm, right? Yes, yes. We're uh, based in Canada. So that's why I say in your country, in our country, around the globe, I'm assuming business is going well. Is that correct? Yeah, we've we've had a, a substantial uptick in our growth uh, over the last uh, literally like two and a half months. Like um, we we've uh, we're getting a lot of signups, a lot of activity, a lot of conversations because it is so topical. It is so mission critical right now. You know, cash flow is always mission critical. It's even during the the best roaring times in business. Um, you know, half of them will go out of business within five years, and and. Uh, the number one problem that they'll face is their cash flow, and if they're not managing it, um, they're you know running a massive risk. And in fact, even if you're profitable, seventy um, percent of the businesses that go out of business are profitable on paper when they go out of business. They just don't have the money coming in the door. Um, but now it's it's a completely different landscape, and so um, you're, you're right. We have just uh, 
an awful lot of conversations going on. We've got um, uh, a lot, like our, our signups have, have increased tremendously. Um, and um, we're also, we're, right now we're also offering three months free to help businesses get through this slowdown because we know right now every, every dollar counts and, and there's businesses that are um, struggling to make it another day. Some are, are actually wrapping up operations. And then there's some that are actually, you know, carrying on and figuring out how to, how to navigate this. And some are growing incredibly fast. That's, that's the strange thing that we, we do um, talk with and, uh, businesses here and there that are growing so incredibly fast. And that's the big challenge for them is how do, they, how do they grow? How do they expand their team? How do they deal with this sudden massive influx of, uh, uh, of customers? but still be prepared for, you know, six months down the road, is it going to continue or is it going to start to just move back a little bit and have to be prepared for that and, and, and look at those outcomes. It's remarkable by the way, those three months, quick story. So I've been consulting for about 20 years and every time I start a new client, we talk about the 90 day cash flow forecast, the rolling 90 day. And for me, it is day versus week. Um, and then we can tweak it. It can be 60 days. It can be 90, maybe 120. But most of the times I cannot get that client to start that habit. And by the way, Blaine, I'm talking people who even have controllers. They don't want to do this. But one particular IT firm that is front and center in my mind, they wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. I don't know if it's because they wouldn't or couldn't, but then all of a sudden we hit a run kind of that you experience as you described at the top of the conversation. And guess what? They pulled out that model and they were, we had our own war room and I really thought we might go out of business. We, we did a Hail Mary. Uh, it worked and, and this company is still thriving. So they, they, they more than survived. They're now thriving but they went back to that cash flow model they've been trying to get them to use for years and it took a crisis for them to use it. So here's the $64,000 question I have for you. Once COVID-19 is behind us, when it's in a rear view mirror, will we be using your tool relentlessly, uh, religiously, day to day, week to week, one year, two years from now? Is that a fair question? It's it's a fair question, and and um, I I I'll characterize it as this as the smart uh, businesses will be. Um, and the reason I say that is, like I said, I came through two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, one of the things I found by by modeling out um, cash flow and then and then stretching it out and modeling out our sales pipeline and getting a handle on all those things is one of the most uncomfortable realizations was how much money I'd left on the table from the previous like six, seven, eight years. Um, because I didn't know where we were going. And that, that was a realization that, okay, this isn't just emergency planning. This is uh, making smart decisions that make you money and, and uh, make your business more successful and help you expand. And, um, uh, you know, with, it didn't take long for me to look and, and start to count up the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that I realized we left on the table from, from poor management. And so when you get that, that habit in place and you, and you start to see the benefits um, and it's not just an insurance policy, it's that you start to make decisions on um, uh, where you take the business, when it's safe to expand, how to expand, um, 
it it may it'll make you a much much more successful. But I also realize that this this volatility that we're in right now um, is going to go on for years. I don't think it'll be quite like it is today, but uh, as businesses start to adjust their their business model and and their um, you know their 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 target markets and how they offer their service, how they deliver their products, um, there's I think there's going to be a volatility for a long time. Understanding and making um, decisions based on data, based on um, um, visualizing things, and really understanding why you're making those decisions will make you much, much more successful. So I've, you know, when I started, uh, you know, just dipping my toe in in 2008, by the time we got to 2011, I think it was, we had our, our, our biggest year and then I sold the business in 2012. Um, and uh, so much of that rebuild was accredited, like a credit to understanding where we were going and actually having the ability to make those decisions. Let's talk a little bit about the app itself. How, how long does it take to get this thing implemented, I would think we're talking maybe days, definitely not weeks, maybe a week at the most. Is that correct? I know it's, it's significantly less. Um, we, uh, to, you know, some of our customers right now, they're just modeling out their, their, uh, their repeating budget. Like what does it cost to stay in business every month and how long is my runway? And I've got this stuff going on and they may model that out in a half an hour to an hour. If, if you're using one of our integration partners and we can pull in a bunch of data, um, we may have that set up in a couple of minutes and then you can actually start modeling things out. And, you know, Barbara who works for us, she was, she was demoing uh, um, a number of businesses the other day and just while she's talking and just stepping them through uh, the, the very first steps of onboarding, you know, she was in there for about 40 minutes and um, had already basically done some comparison, like some, some what if scenarios, you know, had that budget in place, had some ins and outs and inflows and outflows of cash. It doesn't take long to model. Um, it doesn't take long to set up. And most importantly, week to week, it doesn't take that long to, to update. Um, so yeah, we're not talking, you know, we know some of the software here that it'll take a year to implement. Uh, we're not in that, uh, in that boat. Um, we can, we can help businesses get a handle on, on what they should be tracking. And we always say, you know, don't, don't over, don't overdo it. You don't, you don't need information overload. You just, it's like whiteboarding. You just got to get that in there and start looking at it and start talking about it. Speaking of integrations, I see QuickBooks, I see Zero, uh, I see Sage Intact on the enterprise version. What's the uh, P in Paul? What's P stand for? Yes, the, so that's for PipeDrive, and PipeDrive is uh, a terrific partner of ours. CRM. Yeah, CRM, it's very much like a Salesforce type product, but uh, uh, we, well, we use PipeDrive internally. Uh, my team uses PipeDrive, the sales team. I use PipeDrive even internally when I was um, uh, working on, on, on fundraising. It's just a terrific product. Um, and um, we'll always tell businesses, if you're, if you're short on cash today, there's a good chance you have a broken sales pipeline six months ago. That's brilliant. Um, and so we, we're always preaching get a handle on that sales pipeline. First step is your near-term cash flow. Like you said, you're, you're 90 days and it is daily right now. And, and for a lot of companies, it's always daily. Um, but get a handle on that six months, year long sales pipeline, especially businesses that are, are, are uh, dealing with those, those big deals where they're, they're landing you know, a handful of really large deals. And then they're, they're figuring out how they're gonna space out payments and, and get that money coming in. Um, uh, PipeDrive is a terrific product to get a real handle on your sales pipeline. And then from there, even in dry running, you can start to, as you win those deals, start to predict how the cash will start rolling into your business before you've even sent a single invoice. 
I can I applaud you. You've got unlimited forecasts and scenarios. And I know some modeling tools, you're pretty much limited to just one big model. But I am I right that you could have maybe a very complex model and then maybe you could have the CEO version where he or she just wants to play around with a smaller model. Is that what that means on the unlimited forecast? Can you have more than one model or am I misreading that? No, you, you absolutely can. And, and, um, uh, and, and that's exactly what, what we do. Like we have, you know, I have some uh, um, very intricate, very detailed cash flow forecasts. And then I've got some that are much more basic. I've, I've got a five-year one where we, I'm actually looking at it in quarterly view. Um, it's more top line numbers and some predictions. Um, so we, yeah, you can build as many forecasts as you want. You can have a forecast, you can duplicate it and start messing around with it somewhere else. Um, within those forecasts, you, you, uh, uh, we, we say unlimited scenarios. I think there, there's a max scenario to start. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and probably three but, or four. I, I'm just, yeah. and I hope you never change that. that. That When I saw that, I thought that's absolutely brilliant. And, and then I well, also, go, and, and then I can see that you've got multiple scenarios. So, so that you're able to do some scenario planning and some stress testing uh, are there any other cool things under the hood that you just think this is great? Well, we've got some pretty, some pretty uh, kind of clever collaboration uh, features as well. So um, you can actually share individual scenarios from inside a forecast. And that works really great when you have multiple locations because you can actually share a single scenario to a, a single location. And so management can actually see and consolidate maybe three, four, five locations but each location only sees their data. So they, they have some ways of sort of walling off who sees what. Um, and um, uh, even that other look those individual locations, they can start doing those what if scenarios as well and figuring out what's happening, you know, locally for them. Um, so we've, we, we're building it to be, you know, highly visual, easy to understand, but very collaborative. And, and it's really important for us that, that people use it and people understand that this is not, you know, kind of the vanity metrics. It's not just look at a graph and it looks pretty. This is very much getting hands dirty and, and um, coming to some sort of consensus and, and um, being really decisive in your decisions. I should have asked this earlier. Industries, are there any industries where it may be a little tricky uh, to use this tool? I'm thinking maybe specialty contractors, general contractors who build, you know, large structures. Is there any industry where maybe this doesn't play well? Are there some that are just, it's a perfect natural fit? Uh, Well, you know, contractors are generally fairly, fairly good for us because it tends to be big dollars in and big dollars out. Good point. Um, What, what doesn't necessarily that um, we don't see as often as um, uh, sort of the, uh, the coffee shop sort of model. Although I shouldn't say that because we actually have a bunch of restaurants that use dry run, but um, when it, when it's a lot of very small transactions and, and um, a lot of, you know, maybe smaller purchases in their case, they're doing some larger inventory purchases. So there are, there is a case for it. Um, but some of those businesses that is, it's very regular repeating revenue with a lot of small transactions. Um, we, we aren't as um, focused on, on trends or, or the, the long view we're, we're focused on operational uh, who's owe, who owes us money today and, and who do we owe money to and, and um, uh, what's that timing like and are we going to get stuck in a jam? So um, it, it does tend to folk, you know, work really well with a high level of volatility versus that just regular uh, repeating revenue. What have I not asked you, Blaine, that I should have? 
I, I think you've actually covered it uh, really well. I've, uh, this has been great chatting with you, Mark. And again, but, uh, I, when um, I, again, I'm sorry for interrupting. When I got a message from your marketing person, J- Jeremy, is that correct? Uh, yeah, well, Jeremy's our director of development. Oh, um, okay. uh, Jay is actually our, our marketing director. So well, I'm assuming I, you're talking with Jeremy. Though, Jer- okay, it was him. And I promised that we'd give him a shout out. So can you shout out his name on on because I told him. We <laughs> oh, were. yeah. Well, you know, and, and uh, yeah, Jer- so it's Jeremy Burke is our director of development. And he's he's uh, um, he is just so uh, involved in cash flow and understanding, you know, what businesses need and what sort of challenges they have. And and he's so eager to have business business people come and talk with them. And, and so we can show, you know, what we can do, how we can help. Um, you know, and if you covered it, it's, it's, uh, we've got, you know, three months free right now. It's easy to get started. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, you know, Barbara's is, uh, would love to hop on and, and, and chat with any business owner and walk them through how they can get started, uh, especially right now. when it's so, uh, you know, so volatile. Um, so yeah, we're happy to help anyone that's, that's looking for some help right now. I always like to ask startup founders, what books have you read that have meant a lot to you? It can be going all the way back. And by the way, I work with a lot of startup founders. I work with a lot of CEOs and I know, I know time is tight, but are there any books, Blaine, that you look back and say, man, this meant a lot to me, very inspiring. Um, And it's okay to say you're not a reader, you learn by doing, but any books that come to mind? Uh, You know, there's, there's one, I believe this, this was a a few years ago, but I've read it a few times. I believe it's called the E-Myth and I'm I'm trying to remember. The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Yes, uh, that that is um, one that I just uh, I I know had a, a real impact. I tend to be a, a quite a reader, not a you know books of white papers. I just I, I read a lot. Um, that's still one that just kind of um, um, sort of you know kind of sticks out there as as a, as a really important one. Um, you know, a, a couple more books that I don't recall the titles anymore, but it, they're ones that I found so incredibly important through my entire career. And I'm talking, I read these probably 25 years ago. Uh, there were two books on um, negotiation and one was um, I don't remember the title exactly, but it was like what they don't teach you about negotiation and Harvard business school. Okay. And then the other one was the negotiation book from Harvard business school. So I thought oh, I'm going to see both sides of this. Um, and I, I, I know over the years how indispensable um, uh, having some, some real concrete negotiation skills uh, has helped me in business. And, and, um, and right now as things get uh, much, much more volatile and, you know, payments are going to be overdue here, there and everywhere. And all these changes, having some, uh, um, some concrete skills negotiation will certainly help. So Blaine, one last question. First of all, congratulations. Did, did I read correctly that your company has has been successful on one of your funding rounds with either an angel or a venture capitalist? Yes, we did. We just closed a seed round. It was a, a VC led round with, uh, and we actually had a number of angels match the VC funds. Very so, well done. Um, oh, thank you. That's our, our, our first, I guess, uh, um, we had a very small pre-seed round before this, but this is our first sort of round. That's, uh, uh, and we just closed actually at the end of March. So it was, um, it's very fresh and, and we're, we're eager to, uh, um, you know, really uh, fuel up here and, and, and help more and more businesses. So one year from now, I'm, I'm going to put on my calendar I'm going to reach out to you and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I have a feeling are we're going to stay connected, but one year from now, if we have you on the show. Tell us what this company is going to look like one year from now. 
Well, I think we're going to be helping um, uh, a significant number of businesses. Uh, we'll have learned an awful lot from our clients actually coming through this and, and coming out the other side into the fall and, and um, into next year. Uh, we're, our whole team is, is very eager to learn, 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 and figure out how we can translate that into helping businesses better understand where they're going and make those decisions. So um, I know how fast our business is. Like we just launched in 2016. I know how fast our business has changed uh, virtually every year. It's going to be another big uh, leap forward for us this year, for sure. Blaine, you and your company, Dry Run, and it's dryrun.com. You guys are awesome. Appreciate what you guys are doing. And again, we'll have a lot of notes in our show notes page. So again, thank you. Uh, we did this. We pulled this together pretty quickly. So again, I appreciate you taking the time out to, to chat with us. Thanks so much, Mark. I, I um, enjoy, uh, obviously, I enjoy talking about business and, and how uh, how we can help businesses. And, and um, you know, with prof professionals like you, we just love uh, having these conversations. So I appreciate the invite to come to your show uh, uh, so much. So Bruce, we've been talking to Blaine, talking about his software application. Now, a lot of companies do use spreadsheets. Do do you do you guys? You know, you got you've got a good sized accounting team. Do you guys are you spreadsheet driven at least on your short term cash flow projections? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we use a uh, we use yes we use a couple of different spreadsheets uh, as far as short term cash flow projections are concerned. The um, we use the thirteen week model that you introduced us to. Um, over five years ago. Qu question I have for you, Bruce, has nothing to do with the spreadsheet itself or or an application. I'm curious, Bruce, because I'm, I'm always intrigued with what you guys are doing. It, what is hard, and, and maybe I'm leading the witness, maybe it's easy, but what do you find that's hard about forecasting short-term cash flow? Or are you going to say, Mark, it's pretty simple. It, it's, it's very methodical, but is there a, sometimes a level of difficulty in doing short-term cash flow forecasting? Um, I mean, I think there could be just be, if there's a, if there is a unpredictability in revenue streams, um, for, for practice link, I mean, it's a by and large a subscription model. So, uh, there's a degree of predictability uh, to it. And again, because we're, you know, we're a we're a smaller company that's giving you know that we we see a lot of what's going on we're seeing when the new sales are coming in we're kind of seeing when they're up a little bit when they're down a little bit but that uh for us the the recurring nature of what we do makes um makes that piece of things flow pretty smoothly and then it's just a matter of staying on top of um out, outflows as far as um you know in, innovative innovative measures that we want to take or things that we want to try experimentation, et cetera. Question I have, Bruce, and I, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm not trying to ask you a hard question where, where it might, might make you look bad. Again, I'm just asking out of a passionate curiosity. When you do the 13 weeks, do you find that maybe weeks 10, 11, 12, 13, maybe the confidence level of those last weeks on the leg are, you're maybe not as confident about those, or is it because your 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 SaaS model, your your SaaS based model is so predictable, it's not an issue? Again, do you have more confidence in week one than you do in week thirteen? 
I would say you'd have to with the, you know, with it, with it being week one, um, you'd really have to miss the ball on something to not be pretty close. And in fact, um, Alex, our um, AR guy who, you know, drives a good portion of that process, the, I mean, there's some times when we're within um, hundreds of dollars of, of the collections for the week. So, um, you know, so and it's, and I don't want to minimize the, 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 uh, thoroughness and the skill and everything that goes into it because it's he's very much on top of the work he does so uh but that and it helps to have somebody who's very on top of and really knows you gotta really know the business and you gotta know your customer it, it can't just be a numbers exercise there's gotta be there, there's a, a level of a level of expertise and knowledge of the product and the customer that, that plays into that next question and we talked about this in the interview Let's pretend like, Bruce, you're now a consultant in the St. Louis area and you go in and help companies that are hemorrhaging, they're just hemorrhaging cash. I mean, they're about to maybe go under, maybe not ready to go under, but things are getting so tight and you go in and you help them out. Obviously, one of the first things you're going to do is you're going to put together a cash, a short-term cash flow projection, whether it's based on days or weeks and so have that in the back of your mind. Now let's say you go into a company where things are going okay, hunky-dory. Um, cash isn't real tight. Uh, they've, got a, they've got plenty of capacity on their line of credit. Uh, they might have maybe a few hundred thousand dollars in the bank. And again, we're talking about a $5 million business or under. True or false? Or tell me your opinion. Do you think the typical controller maintains a cash flow forecast? Yes or no? The typical controller. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give the answer that I suspect. Get, no, you have to. <laughs> Bruce. I, sus I suspect that the that the controller of a company that is that is comfortable in their cash position um the typical controller is probably is is probably not looking at cash flow as as deeply as one who's paying the bills with today's receipts this is not a scientific survey it's based on a small sample size. But here's been my experience over the last 20, 21 years. Many controllers that I approach do not do cash flow forecasting until it's introduced to them. And then when they do do it, they'll do it for a while and then quit until the boss, the CEO quits maybe asking for it. And then the CEO will say, Where, where's my cash flow? And it's not because controllers are ignorant. You and I know that control, you have to be highly intelligent to be a controller. It's a very analytical position. It requires a lot of complex thinking. It includes a lot of abstract thinking. But for whatever reason, because, because it just takes up some time during the week, it just gets shoved aside. And that's been my personal frustration 
you want to drive me crazy, put me in a company where the lead person in the finance department is not doing this or taking it seriously. It usually doesn't get taken seriously until the CEO says, I want this or I need this. And usually it takes a two or three rounds of you've got to do this. It's not a training issue. It's just got to do it. Get the lead out. So I got to be, I don't want to be condescending or critical to controllers. It could just be time. It's not intelligence because these people are highly intelligent people. So that's why I asked the question. And if your company didn't do it, I'm sure certain you'd be like, man, we got to do this, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, that was, um, that was something that we, we committed to, um, very early on was that we're, we, we do the cash flow. It's going to be a normal part of what we do. Uh, it's going to be something that we as a, as a finance and accounting team gather around each week to, um, to, to, to update and to review. And it's, that's when the balances, um, that's when the balances have been very comfortable and that's when the balances, um, were something to, to take a look at. Fortunately, those, those days have not been too numerous, um, really at all. Um, there have, but it's, I think it's one of those things where you can lose, you can lose a grasp, you can lose grasp on it pretty quickly. If it's not part of just your, if it's not, if it's not a habit, it's easy to, it'd be easy to get out of that, um, to, to lose track of those things. Let's wrap up here. What are you reading heading into the holiday weekend? And of course, by the time some people listen to this, they'll say I've already had the holiday weekend, but this is Memorial Day weekend as we record this. So what are you reading? What, what's, what are you finding interesting these days? Well, um, I've got a couple of things going. I've got um, doing the storytelling with data, um, reading back through, uh, reading back through that book again. Um, I've got that one and I think it's winning with numbers or winning with data. I've also, and I'll probably go into that one afterwards. And then I'm also, I'm also reading Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind um, by Suzuki. And that was in part um, in a little bit spurred on by Rookie Smarts from, from last week. Oh, okay. and there's, there's, some, uh, there's some element of connect, connection there of not going into new situations with preconceived notions and being able to clear the mind to, to be flexible. So that's um, uh, doing uh, that one. And then listening to an audible, kind of tying in with the whole Zen thing, is um, listening to the Harvard Psychedelic Club. Okay. There's a discussion of Timothy Leary, Ram Dass, um, Houston Smith, and Andrew Weil uh, in their experimentation with mind-altering substances in the 60s at Harvard. So uh, kind of a kind of a mixed bag of, of things going in, but obviously you can see kind of the, the um, you know, from a holistic standpoint, kind of looking at those things right now. See, this is why I like asking you because you're, you're all over the place and, and, I, and no, no, I, that probably didn't come out right, but you're, oh, I, I think, I think you know that <laughs> you, you read widely is what I've tried to say, which I think is extremely healthy. 
So inter- yeah, that's an interesting list. And then you're going to do you? your, oh, you owe oh, me. I'm so, um, oh, well, <laughs> I, 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 I keep dissecting my oddball bookshelf. <laughs> well, I have three chapters left of the financier by Theodore Dresler. Oh, I can't remember his last name. Dresler. I can't remember the, the author's last name. He's, he's actually a pretty decent author back in the 1920s, thirties, thereabouts. But the financier is actually a trilogy. I don't think I'll read the next two books. So I have three more chapters of it. I finished the Splendid in the Vile about a week ago. I'm reading a book or actually listening to a book on the Roman Empire. And I feel like an idiot because I don't get out enough, but it's based on a successful podcast. Um, in fact, it's one of the most popular podcasts out there and it's, all these shows he's done, he's put it into a book. And again, it's about the Roman empire. Again, I don't, don't remember the title off the top of my head. And then I'm, I don't know the title. We'll have this in the show notes, but I'm also reading a book on complex problem solving, which is just fascinating the heck out of me. It's one of those books where you don't want to read it too fast because once you come across a framework framework, it's like, you want to just, you just want to, let it stew a little bit and maybe even try to apply it uh, in a real life situation. It's the kind of book that would probably be handed to a a McKinsey associate or a Bain or a BCG, a first year consultant. I mean, it's very interesting book and we'll, we'll have that in the show notes, but that that's roughly uh, my list. Very cool. Hey, why don't you uh, wrap us up and thanks for your time, Bruce, as always, and have a great holiday weekend. So you uh, wrap this up for us. All right, Michael, you have a, you have a great holiday weekend as well. And to everybody listening, please stay safe and well with your families. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Take care. 